Welcome to Rising Stars, where Miriam Knight, publisher of New Consciousness Review, interviews exciting new voices in the world of progressive and transformational books, films, and ideas who offer intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us as we celebrate the conscious awakening and explore many expressions of consciousness in action. Welcome. I'm Miriam Knight, and I'm speaking with Mary O'Malley. Mary is an author, counselor, and awakening mentor in Kirkland, Washington. In the early 1970s, Mary had a powerful awakening that led her to begin changing her relationship with her challenges and freed her from a lifelong struggle with self-judgment and despair. And today we're going to talk about the book that came out of all that. It's called What's in the Way is the Way. And Sounds True out of Colorado recently came out with a brand new edition. And I am so delighted to welcome Mary O'Malley. Hi, Mary. Oh, so glad to be here, Miriam. Well, after all of the technical glitches, I'm delighted that we've finally (laughs) managed to connect. Clearly this was meant to be. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Tell us about your book, What's in the Way is the Way. How did you come up with that title, and how is it relevant to the book? Well, it just came in meditation one day because it, uh, my life, uh, for the first 27 years of my life was just pure struggle. And I tried to fix myself and other people tried to fix myself. And my first awakening teacher taught me in the seeing is the movement. That there's nothing that needs to be fixed, changed, rearranged, gotten better that as we learn how to ground and show up for whatever life is offering, especially the challenging times, we discover the power of our attention to actually heal what has been bound up. So more and more, we are available to life. So I oftentimes say to people, you don't even need to read the book, just live the title. (laughs) (laughs) So let's let's go into that a little more deeply um what do you mean by seeing so we're going along let's take for an example that you've gone to a party and you're with your new boyfriend and uh and he's holding your hand and and you know you're just so happy and uh and uh, you go to the bathroom and when you come back he's talking to an old girlfriend And you feel awkward and you feel all these what I call spells in this book. And I love the word spells because these these belief systems that we took on, these belief systems of fear and not enoughness and frustration and confusion and doubt and helplessness and hopelessness, we all kind of absorb these from the adults around us when we were growing up. And so when you are not conscious, you are in reaction. Oh my God, you know, he's going to like her better than me. And, you know, I don't know what to do. And you go over and, and try to, uh, uh, be in their conversation. It's just awkward. And you leave and you find a drink and you're just caught in this whirling mind. Oh my God, he's going to leave me. Oh my God, he's going to leave me. So now, Let's imagine you go to that same party, and now you're conscious. 
and you can feel some tightening inside of you, and you go, and you just ask life, okay, what is asking to be seen? And you go to the bathroom, and you come back, and he's talking to an old girlfriend. And you can feel this tightening. Let's say it's in your throat, okay? And what we don't know is that all of these spells, these deep beliefs that we try to fix and we try to manage and we do therapy around, what they need is our attention. They're just like you and I. There's something that relaxes inside of us when somebody listens to us. So you notice the tightening in your throat and you just go over to a corner. You just bring your attention into your living experience right now. And as your attention comes into your throat, then there you can hear the stories in your head saying, oh my God, he's going to reject me. She's more beautiful than I am. And you see them. And I oftentimes invite people to say, I see you. And it is that attention that allows these old spells to move through us. It's a bit like the often quoted phrase, the truth shall set you free. Right. That when you actually um, focus on what you're feeling. Exactly. As opposed to the stories around it. Right. The stories take us so far away. You know, and and we all have these challenges in our life. You know, maybe it's not a difficult party. Maybe it's a a difficult boss or a uh, out-of-control teenager or a challenging medical diagnosis. And what we usually do is we leave ourselves. We tighten. We run away to our heads. And we're up there, like, scrambling, trying to fix things, trying to understand things, trying to change things. And we do not understand that as we learn, and this is why I wrote the book, because this is not something we're skilled in, the art of turning toward ourselves rather than turning away. And all your listeners know what I'm talking about. Let's say you're having a bad day and you go to a friend and that friend does with you what you do with you. She tries to fix you. She judges you. Oh, not again. You know, she just turns and leaves the room. She just absolutely ignores you. Now, just imagine you go to another friend, and that friend just listens. And you talk for 10 minutes, and you feel better. Why? Because what was bound up inside of you was received through accepting attention, and it moves through you. So that's why I'm saying we're beginning to discover the phenomenal power of our own attention and discovering how to bring our attention into our immediate experience. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a very powerful technique. I have heard that same approach applied to uh, pain and illness. Right. Yes. That, but pain can be psychic as well as physical, yes. M- mental, emotional, physical. Right. You know, and I, uh, my main mentor was Stephen Levine, who he said, "What woke me up were two Tibetan lamas and thousands of people on their deathbeds," because he was head of the Hanuman uh, Death and Dying Project, and he walked through thousands of people through their dying process, and he discovered 
that when you can be with that process, it actually heals you. It may even heal your body, but you don't have that intention. You just want to be with that experience. And what I have done is broaden that out of just the uh, death and dying world and into our daily lives. Because in a way, all of the challenges that we experience are the training grounds for our actual dying back into life. Mm -hmm. I think that analogy that you gave of of two different girlfriends, one who doesn't have the patience for you and the other who listens, and you really do feel better after it, it's like getting it off your chest. Right, right. Mm-hmm. right. And being heard. That's, that's this, right. this, this second friend, uh, she doesn't offer suggestions. She, just, she may nod her head every once in a while, but she doesn't interject. And what, if, if we really understood that when we look out in nature, everything flows Day flows into night, winter into spring, sap flows up and down trees, light flows, sound flows, water flows. And we were intimately one with that flow when we were very young. And then, because this is a schoolroom, we took on some of the craziness and we learned how to tighten our bodies, hold our breath, and run away to our minds. And what we long for is to come out of what I call this bubble of struggle, this storyteller that talks in our head all day long that really is addicted to struggle. And we long to see that and see through it so we can relax back into this highly intelligent, creative flow that is life. For this moment is our home. The other implication of what you were saying is that we need to make friends with ourselves and act as our own best friend. Yes, yes, yes. Stephen would say over and over again, we leave ourselves when we most need ourselves. And what I will add to that, there is absolutely nothing about you, nothing about your body, nothing about your personality, nothing about your feeling nature to be ashamed of, or afraid of. This is just bound up energy that we all took on. We were young. And I love to say to people, you know, uh, well, Stephen said it first, he said, I'm going to create a hat. And when you put it on your head, it's going to instantaneously broadcast over a loudspeaker, all of your thoughts. And the first time he said it, you know, there was a collective groan in the room, but this is why I do groups and lead retreats and all that. So we can all come together and really see that there's nothing to be ashamed of about this storyteller in our head. There's nothing to be ashamed of about what we're feeling. There's nothing to be afraid of about what we're feeling or about what's happening in our body. And that is where freedom lies. One can take that on board intellectually, but yeah. it's a really different thing to actually internalize it. Yes. What was yes. most helpful to you in making that leap? Curiosity. I just love that word. I mean, I, you know, hung out with a lot of Buddhists and all that, you know, in the, in the 70s. And, and uh, that was the time when I was still really caught in my uh, personality and thought everybody else did awakening better than me. And everybody, everybody else definitely did meditation better than me, you know, and all this. And one day I was sitting in meditation trying to meditate. 
And all of a sudden, something just shifted. And I realized there was nowhere to go, nothing to do. It was all about being curious about what I was experiencing right now. So I oftentimes, when I'm working with somebody, I say, without changing anything, notice what is. And the more I was curious about my experience, the more the clouds of struggle began to thin. And then my curiosity opened back up into life, into this magical, wonderful, amazing adventure that is life. And I realized that for most of my life, I wasn't here. I lived in ideas about life rather than the living experience of it. Hmm. Mary, um, we are speaking with Mary O'Malley, author of What's in the Way is the Way. We have to take a break now, but we will be right back. Please stay with us. Free your mind. Expand your soul. Own Times Radio. IOM FM. The number one reason girls drop out of school in sub-Saharan Africa is lack of access to feminine hygiene products. The Pads for School Girls Project, an outreach of Humanity Healing International, is changing this paradigm by setting up sewing programs at schools, teaching girls a vocational skill, while producing the reusable pads that help keep them attending classes. The girls pay it forward by making and giving pad kits to other girls in need. To learn more, visit humanityhealing.org. Humanity Healing is where your heart is. Your conscious lifestyle on steroids. Ohm Times Radio. IOM FM. Welcome back. We're speaking with Mary O'Malley about her book, What's in the Way is the Way. Mary, what is your website? MaryO'Malley.com. <laughs> and it's, it's O-M-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And no apostrophe. No apostrophe. The, the <laughs> web does not like apostrophes. <laughs> okay. MaryO'Malley.com it is. So, Mary, you've, you've constructed this book as a sort of 10-week mm-hmm. journey. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the end point of the journey? Well, it starts with, it starts very, very slowly. We have to realize that most of the time in our lives, we live in thoughts about life. I love the quote from Alan Watts, the Zen philosopher. No matter how many times you say the word water, it will never be wet. So awakening is beginning to discover that mostly you're not here for life. You're in stories about life. And then in the 10-week series, it's starting to strengthen the muscle of your attention and you're choosing a focus and coming back to it. And two things happen there. Number one, your curiosity gets stronger. Not only your curiosity about the taste of your sandwich or the smell of an orange, but also about when anxiousness comes, that rather than you saying, I am anxious, more and more you discover how to say, oh, anxiousness is here. This is what I call look to unhook from this storyteller that separates us from life. And then the other amazing thing begins to happen is that you notice that there's something going on here right outside of your stories about life. And it's life. 
and I'm looking out this beautiful window right now. I, I live in a, a little cottage under a 152-year-old maple tree, and it looks out onto this secret magic garden, and here's all these variations of life. And every single leaf, every single blade of grass, even the water in the pond, even the fish in the pond, were all made out of, of atoms that were once a part of a star. And so when we're caught in our head, we totally miss this. Stephen tells a story about a 93-year-old woman on her deathbed that said, it can't end now because it hasn't started yet. Oh so, boy, that's a sad comment. Yeah, but I think that's most people. Most people still, where we are evolutionarily, go to their deathbed completely identify with the storyteller in their head. But if they're listening to this conversation, there's something that's pulling them back, not only to having more and more moments where, I love what Pema Chodron, the wonderful Buddhist nun, says that enlightenment is relaxing into life. <laughs> I love that. Uh, you know, though more and more moments where your mind, your body, and your heart are all right here, but also more and more moments, even when great challenges come, that you can look and unhook from whatever drama, trauma stories that your storyteller is spinning about this particular challenge, about your boss, about your boyfriend, about your health, about, you know, whatever. Um, I'd like you to, to try, uh, try and um, elaborate a bit on that, because on the one hand, I got the impression that, uh, you know, when you're feeling pain of any form, um, you're encouraging us to kind of stand outside and observe the pain yes. and say, oh, I'm yes, feeling yes. pain. And yet, yes. on the other hand, you're talking about feeling life, you know, really embracing. Yes. And, and, and so how do you know when you're on the outside or inside and when you're supposed to be on the outside versus the inside? I invite people to become a tightness detective. Our natural state is openness. We are a part of nature. We are a part of this great flow that's been going on for 13.8 billion years. And to me, there's no accident that uh, the people, most of the people we call saints were, were always uh, uh, painted with uh, halos around them. It isn't that they have a metal contraption you know, sticking out of their head. It's because their energy is open and radiant because science has now shown us that we are made out of light. And so it is a process. Stephen was asked once, how long does this take? And he says, it's the work of a lifetime. And what I would add to that is that it's the only game in town that we're discovering how to use our attention to be with what tightens us, whether it's a pain in our body, a pain in our heart, or a struggle in our mind, so that this bound-up energy can soften and relax and open back into the flow. So it sounds like what you're um, urging us to do is to get uh, rid of the, the sort of shell that we have around us that we create with our stories. It's like um, there's so much noise in our head that yes. we really can't hear or see anything beyond it. Exactly. And, and, and what's beyond that is our home. 
And, and I wouldn't quite say get rid of. I would say see and see through it mm-hmm. because at some level we will always still, I mean, we do need a personality. You know, uh, one of uh, my teachers years ago once said, you know, even Buddha has a personality. How do you know if you're standing in a room with Buddha and his back is to you and you say, hey, Buddha, he'll turn around. <laughs> so it's discovering how to use our mind rather than being lost in our mind. I think I get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what is the role of the heart in all this? Uh, oh, thank you so much for asking that question. <laughs> I, have, uh, I just did a radio show on the heart. I, what we now know is that we have three brains. And we have our gut brain, and there's a lot on the news now about how the gut brain affects the head brain and so on and so forth. There is the head brain. But what we now understand is that the heart is a brain and it is our main brain. And so uh, they did a uh, a study at uh, HeartMath Institute where they put people in front of computers uh, and had sensors on their body, their heart, and their brain. And then the computer randomly chose either horrific pictures or neutral pictures or beautiful pictures, and then they registered people's reactions. The heart always responded first for everybody. And for a good deal of the people, the heart responded six to eight seconds before the computer even chose the picture. How I mean, that just boggled my mind when I heard it. But when you understand that the head brain is dualistic in nature, it's a tool for maneuvering through reality. The gut brain is where your knowing is. But the heart brain is this inclusive place where we come back home to oneness. And we could say that so much of this healing that many people are now exploring is having our head come home to our hearts, mm-hmm. to our main brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So would you say that that's sort of the core message of the book? Yeah, well, the core message is, is coming home, but also coupled with that the challenges of your life are tailor-made to help you see your particular storyteller. When I was writing it, this all came out in one fell swoop. Life is set up to bring up what has been bound up. So it can open up to be freed up so you can show up for life. And when we really become one with life again, we live mainly from the heart. This is not a mushy heart. This is a highly, highly intelligent brain that science is now discovering is our main brain. Mm -hmm. So Mary, um, I understand that you offer uh, trainings and courses through your website? Yes, I have a couple of different courses on the website. I also do phone groups. Uh, I also do retreats, but two very, very close family members have been quite ill for the last year. So 
I am don't have any scheduled uh, for a year now so that I can walk through their process with them. But I'll be doing retreats again. But I also do phone counseling and Skype counseling because we really do need to gather together with other people that are awakening. It's, it's almost like learning a language. And it's just like if you're going to learn Spanish, you need to practice it, you know, with somebody that knows Spanish. <laughs> kind of a conversational group, right? Exactly, right. <laughs> so you are practicing um, open connection to... What are you practicing? How would you, how would you put it? How to open how to ground and open into the living moment of life. That this moment where you and I are sharing and people are listening, that is the only moment that matters in their whole life. And that's why I call it coming home. Well, clearly uh, this is a message worth repeating again and again, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. now is the only moment we really have to create our lives and to, um, to live our lives. So I want to thank you very much for being with us, Mary. We've been speaking with Mary O'Malley about her book, What is in the Way is the Way. Her website is maryomalley.com. Thank you, Mary. It's my joy, Miriam. And I do hope you'll join us next week, hopefully with no glitches. I'm Miriam Knight. Until then, be well, be blessed, and get out there and live your life. Goodbye. Goodbye.